This is Shnayim Mikra for Parshas Teruma. This is Tzvi uh, Hersh Weinreb. Uh, I'm glad to be able to do Shnayim Mikra with you, for you, on Parshas Yisro a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and now I'm presenting to you Parshas Teruma. This is the first Aliyah from the beginning until Shani. Once again... I will restrict my comments to pshat, to the simple meaning of the text, drawing mostly from Rashi, stressing whenever important the words of the Targum, Unkelis, and occasionally sharing with you um, pshat offerings, offerings of various Rishonim, several Acharonim, on the simple meaning of the text. Uh, for the next several weeks, uh, certainly for the next two weeks, Parshish Truma and Tetzave, uh, we have a special difficulty uh, because these Parshios really need to be seen, to be understood. There's a lot of description of various structures, the structure of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle, the structure of the various Kleha Mishkan, of the various furnishings of the Mishkan, uh, and it's always would be it would be uh, it's always useful to have some type of a visual chart or diagram or uh, picture uh, to illustrate these words. Um, I'm going to try to be as clear as possible in my words uh, and urge you to use uh, your imagination uh, and perhaps check with other reference works which do show um, diagrams of these various uh, objects which I will be describing. The Torah begins with a mitzvah given by the Ribbono Shalom to Moshe. Hashem el Moshe lemor. God says to Moshe, Daber el b'nei Yisroel, speak to the Jewish people, and let them take for me, a teruma literally means something which is raised up, an offering. Take for me an offering. And this offering, this teruma, should be taken from each person who wants to volunteer to give it. And from such people, you should take my truma, my offering. This pasuk, simple enough, on the surface, says, God says, I want you to take donations from everybody. Um, take my donations. However, there are various, not so subtle, but almost obvious difficulties here that must be addressed. Number one, what does it mean, v'yikhuli truma, take to me, Rashi immediately says that li here means lishmi, take it for my name's sake. And the Mephoshim understand Rashi to mean that God is stressing here, I don't need this for me personally. God doesn't need what we give him. And therefore you can't just translate it, God says, bring this for me. Rather it means, bring this for my sake. Bring this to fulfill my mitzvah. The various Mephoshim on Rashi understand him in various ways. The Batanura 
who has a pirush on Chumash, says, V'yikhuli lishmi means it should be sanctified to me. In other words, you should designate it. This, what I'm giving you, this donation is holy. It's designated and dedicated to the Mishkan. In the commentary on Rashi called Sifse Kohen, he understands this to me, to mean that when the people gave these various materials toward the building of the Mishkan, they actually had to mention the Shem Shemayim. They had to say, I am hereby dedicating this for the sake of heaven for the purpose of building the Mishkan. And even to recite a brocha, it's a mitzvah from Hashem, and therefore they had to recite the bracha. Rashi stresses, Yidvenu means to give something willingly, doing something enthusiastically, which is interesting because there are various donations which are given here. Some of them are not... Uh, subject to subjective uh, generosity. You have to give this and this amount for this and this and this amount for that. Some of the gifts, however, depend upon the person's generosity, upon the person's wealth, upon the person's motivation. So with re- reference to those gifts, the Pesach says here, libo. everyone who wants to wish to give something out of his rotson tov, out of his Good heart, good will. Now, God says, I'm not just asking for any old object. I want specific objects. And they include gold and silver and copper. Here, the Mephorshim say, this forno among them, that Notice, the Torah doesn't want you to just give things you have lying around the house. You know, I have an old antique. Uh, I'm going to give it and let them sell it. And with the money, they can buy material for the Mishkan. No, God wants here that the people should give the actual materials which will go directly for the Meleches HaMishkan. Not things which are valuable, which can be sold and then the materials purchased. He wants the materials themselves to be given, perhaps because God wants everyone to be able to feel, I have a stake in this Mishkan. I gave something which is part and parcel of the Mishkan. I gave a little bit of gold, there it is in the Mishkan's and uh, one of the clay hamishkan. I gave wood. There's the wood. I gave um, scarlet. I gave treles. I gave wool. I gave uh, skins. There they are. They're right there. They're being used. This is my mishkan. So Rashi says that what we're given were actually a list of things. Thirteen. Thirteen things were given, says Rashi. If you count carefully, by the way, you will find fifteen. And I'll comment on that in a moment. The first three objects on the list were Zohov, Kesef, and Nechoshes, gold and silver and copper. Simple enough. Usecheles v'yargomon v'sola'at shoni v'sheish v'izim. Now, in Pasuk Dalet, five more materials, which we will have to define. And interestingly, Rashi only helps us out by defining four of the five. 
Techeles, says Rashi, is wool, but it's wool dyed a certain color, a bluish green, from the um, fluid, the body fluid of an animal called the Chalazon, which nowadays is identified with a certain type of snail. That's Techeles. Argomon is also wool, but this wool is dyed a certain color, scarlet, purple perhaps, um, called Argomon. So two types of wool, but each dyed a different color from a different dye. Visola'as shoni, and also something called sola'as, which is a word which normally means a worm. Shoni, usually translated as silk, but Rashi doesn't tell us precisely what the word means. Uh, in the uh, Targum, all the Targum says is Utsiva Zahori, a bright golden uh, color, colored object. But we don't know exactly what it is from Rashi or from the Targum. Ibn Ezra, however, suggests that it is silk. It is silk. Um, coming from uh, the, 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 the silk worm, and that's why it's called Tola'as Shoni. Vishesh, Rashi tells us, means linen. And Izim, Rashi tells us, mean, means goat's hairs. The goats, uh, at least those goats, had long, long hairs. The hairs, the, the, the uh, uh, hairs of the goats, they would be used as materials. So we have here eight materials. And also, the oros elim ma'odomim, um, hides of the animal called the elim, uh, the rams, uh, hides, uh, but these hides were reddened. Again, Rashi says they were reddened. They were colored red because of a dye which was applied to them. And the hides of an animal called the techoshim, oros techoshim. What animal is this techoshim? What animal is the tachash? Rashi says that it was a minchaya, some type of a wild animal. Many Mephorshim um, on Rashi say, and it might even have been in some girsaot, in some manuscripts of Rashi, the word min chayotahoro. It is a kosher animal. And in case you're wondering if it is a kosher animal, why is it not listed in the Torah and Parshas Shmini or in Parshas Re'eh as one of the kosher animals? So the Mephorshim say that is why Rashi insists that this animal, lo hoiso el this animal nev- never to be found again. It's a once in a history kind of animal. It's called in Aramaic, the Targum translates it as an animal called the Saskona. And Rashi says Saskona means it is an animal which is proud of its many colors. Kind of like the peacock. It's not a peacock. But a peacock is, it looks like it's proud of its beautiful colors. So too this animal was happy and proud of its many colors. Various suggestions have been offered as to what the Tachash um, uh, was ranging from the rhinoceros and the unicorn and all sorts of other animals, some type of a seal or walrus type of animal perhaps, but we really don't know what it, uh, exactly what it was, but its hide was used in the construction of the Mishkan. And va'atse shitim, and also uh, wood 
uh, of a tree called Shita or Shitim. Often that's translated as Asasia wood, A-C-A-C-I-A. Again, I will prefer to just call it simply Atsei Shitim. Uh, the Mepharshim do say that the Atsei Shitim was a very light bamboo-like wood, very light-weighted um, wood. Uh, the Medrash says that the tree, the Shita, bore no fruit, and that's why um, it wasn't a fruit-bearing tree, it was an Ilan Sirak, a non-fruit-bearing tree, and that's why it was cut down and used uh, in the construction of uh, the Mishkan. Um, the question, of course, is asked, where on earth did the Jewish people get trees of this size uh, and this quality uh, in the Midbar, in the wilderness. And Rashi says that these trees were not to be found in the wilderness, but rather these trees were brought by Yaakov of Vinu. Yaakov foresaw that one day the Jewish people would need wood for the construction of the Mishkan, so he brought Shittim from Israel, from the land of Israel, from Eretz Israel, to Egypt, and those Shittim wood were taken by the Jews from Egypt into the wilderness and used as material in the construction of the Mishkan, the foresight of um, Yaakov of Vinu. Also, God asks us to bring Shemen Lama or oil, olive oil, for illumination. Rashi says, for the use of the menorah, which needed oil for, for, for its light. Various types of spices, of fragrant spices for the oil which was used to anoint the furnishings of the Mishkan and actually the Mishkan itself. And the oils and fragrant spices which were necessary for the special uh, incense which was brought in the Mishkan every single day, morning and evening. Also to be brought were Avne Shoham, a certain type of gemstone. Um, Targumunculus translates it as Avne Burla, a certain type of gemstone. The Avne Miluim, and other gemstones. Rashi says Avne Miluim means gemstones which fit into a setting, which have a setting, a, a moshav, a little uh, indentation into which these gems can be placed. Lo efod v'lachoshen. We will learn later about the efod, one of the uh, uh, items of clothing which were worn by the kohen and also the kohen gadol, and also the choshen, the breastplate which was worn by the kohen gadol. These, um, the efod required two gemstones at the shoulder. And the Choshen actually required 12 gemstones representing the 12 Shafotim. So these gems were also necessary. Interestingly enough, um, the Targum translates Avne Miluim as Avne Ashla Musa, complete stones, meaning not stones which were cut, but stones which were raw, uncut stones, uh, were necessary, at least for the uh, Choshen. And the Ramban comments at length on um, this fact, that there were three Avne Shoham, three Shoham stones that were necessary, two for the 
uh, ephod, and one as one of the twelve gemstones of the Choshen. So this is the list. And Mephoshim say that when you count the list, there are fifteen, because we do not count Shemen Lamaor and Bisomim Lishemen Hamishchov Liktores Hasamim. Why do we not count them? Because everything else was actually part and parcel of the furnishings of the Mishkan. Shemen and Bisamim were necessary not for the building or the or the furnishings of the Mishkan, but rather they were necessary for the functioning of the Mishkan, for the Avodas Mishkan. And therefore Rashi does not count them, only counts the thirteen, which actually were either building uh, elements or which um, comprised the actual furnishings of the Mishkan. So this is the list. What should you do with all these materials? The Pasuk continues, the Osuli Mikdosh, they should make for me a Mikdosh, a holy place, a sanctuary, Vishokhanti Bisokham, and I will dwell among them. Um, you will notice, of course, that whereas most of the Psukim that we will read refer to uh, in the singular, here it's in the plural. They should make for me a mikdash, and I will dwell among them. And here the Horachayim um, HaKadosh says, the reason why it says, Bisocham in them is because we want to involve all the Jewish people in this. All the Jewish people have a stake in the Torah. All the Jewish people uh, should be part of the group, the large group that actually builds the um, the uh, the Mishkan. Uh, we will see more about this in when we deal with the Aron, with the Ark, in just a moment. But Kechol Asher Ani Mare Rashi insists that this pasuk test is really just a continuation of pasuk Ches. So it reads. They should make for me a mikdash. I will dwell among them. And this mikdash should be made exactly as I showed you. It should be made exactly as I am demonstrating to you. The form of the mishkan. And the form of each and every one of the furnishings. Rashi says, and this is what you should do for all generations. Meaning eventually... Some of these furnishings might break or become old or torn or worn out or decayed or whatever, and you will want to make new ones, fine, but make them exactly to the specifications that I am about to prescribe to you right now. The interesting question is, God says, make this exactly as I am showing you. Did God actually show this? Did God demonstrate in some way, Kavayochel, physically? Did Moshe see a picture of what should be done? So some of Farshim learn, and this is the um, to be found in the Ibn Ezra, uh, that this was Bemare Hanavua. Moshe saw this in a prophetic vision, in the prophecy, not in real um, eyesight. However, the, Ramba, the Ibn Ezra also suggests an alternative shot. No, Bimaris Ayin Mamosh, that uh, God kind of gave a, a demo, so to speak, Kavayochel. 
a demo in the commentary called Bechor Shor from the, one of the Balei HaTosfes of Yosef Bechor Shor he suggests that here the Torah is lo- using the word I showed you loosely God didn't demonstrate visually God ex- instructed and the instructions themselves are sometimes called Mareh Sometimes you speak of verbal instructions as being, didn't I show you this? Now do you see? And of course you don't see anything, you just understand. And this is uh, how the Bechor Shor understands the meaning of Mar'eh. God didn't show visually anything. He told Moshe, and Moshe, quote, saw in his mind's eye what it should look like. Now the first of the furnishings mentioned before Shani is the Aron, the Ark. The Asu Aron at say Shitim. You should take this Shitim wood, and that's what the Aron should be basically comprised of. The Aron basically was made of wood. Mephorshim say that it was made of wood so that it shouldn't be too heavy for the Jewish people to carry. This is Chizkuni. The, the Mizbeach too is made, which we will see, hollow, so it shouldn't be too heavy to carry. So it's basically made of shittim wood. Amosayim vochetzi orko, two and a half amos in length. V'yamo vochetzi rochbo, one and a half amos in width. V'yamo vochetzi komoso, and one and a half amos high. Now an amo, different opinions, amo is approximately about 18 inches, many say somewhat more than 18 inches. But if you figure 18 inches, so an amo is a foot and a half. Two amos, two feet. Chatsi uh, amo uh, is, um, did I say feet? An amo is 18 inches, so a foot and a half. All right, so amosayim is uh, two times a foot and a half, or 36 uh, inches. Amosayim vochetzi is um, uh, 45 uh, inches, and that would be the length. Amo Vachetzi would be uh, 18 plus 9 inches, 27 inches in width, and 27 inches high. Assuming that an Amo is 18 inches. Now, next Pasuk says that the wooden actual ark made of wood, of shittim wood, should be covered inside and outside with layers of gold. It should be layered with gold on the inside and on the outside. Rashi explains that the way to understand the way this was built is as follows. There were three boxes made of approximately the size we just described. The wooden one was made exactly to that size. There was also a slightly larger gold box made and a slightly smaller gold box made. The wooden box was inserted in the larger gold box and the second gold box was inserted into the wooden box. So now you have three boxes, one inserted into each other, gold, wood, gold. So Mamela, the wooden box would be covered inside and outside with gold. Around the tip or the roof, uh, open roof of the box was a crown. The Osisa Olav Zer Zahov Saviv, a golden crown round about the open opening on the top of the box. So you have now a large box 
gold on the outside, wood in the middle, and gold in the very inside, with a crown around it. Imagine a crown with grooves and, and indentations. And then, affixed to this, you had rings. Viotsaktolo, you should cast, a, in other words, molten um, gold should be cast in the form of rings, four rings, and these four rings are bato ba'osahov. These four golden rings, v'nosato al arba pa'amosov, should be put. Rashi says pa'amosov means corners. In that way, he's following the targum, who translates the word pa'amosov as zaviyase, zaviyos, the corner. Uh, the corners. So on the four corners of these boxes, uh, Rashi says, arranged along the width should be these uh, four rings, two on one side, two on the other side, and the length of the box, uh, two and a half amos, should be the distance between these two sets of two rings. So that there's between the two rings on the left and the two rings on the right, there's two and a half amos, and, and as we will see, Poles will be inserted through these rings, and the aron is carried by these poles by individuals walking in between the poles in the two and a half amos length space um, between the poles. Um, this is how Rashi says. I'll give you an alternative shot in a moment, but Rashi says pa'amosav means the corners. Then the pasuk seems to be speaking about two additional rings. Ushte tabaos al saloho echos, two rings on one side, ushte tabaos al saloha shenis, and two rings on the other side. Rashi insists that there was not a total of eight rings, but there were a total of four rings, and the Torah wants to be very clear exactly where these rings are in the four corners, two on one side, two on the other side. Now, um, Others say, no, there really were eight wing, rings. There was a small ring he, f, f, um, attached very tightly to the body of the, um, of the box. And then attached to that ring was a looser, larger ring through which the badim were inserted. So that there were a total of uh, eight rings, four smaller ones held tight against the box, into which were looped four larger rings through which the poles could be inserted. I want also to tell you that the Ibn Ezra insists that Pa'amosov does not mean corners. Pa'amosov means legs. Mayafu pa'amayich bana'olim basnodiv. Pa'amim means legs. And therefore the Ibn Ezra says, no way did this box just sit on the ground, but rather it had legs to support it, it would be a bizayon, it would be a disgrace to have this box just sitting on the ground. No, there were legs to support it. And the uh, rings, there were four, four rings on the legs, those were just ornamental. Then there were four additional rings in the box itself, those were used for the function of supporting the poles that would be inserted between, uh, through the rings. So there were total, according to the Ibn Ezra, two of eight rings, four on the feet of the box and four on the sides of the body of the box. Then the Torah says, 
Pasuk Yud Gimel, you should make poles, long staffs, rods of shitim wood, and they too should be covered with gold. You should push these poles through the rings, the rings which were on the sides of the Aron. This way you could carry the Aron without actually touching it by holding on to those poles. The, these rods should be inserted through the rings of the Aron. They should never be taken away, taken out. Those but rods remained in place all the time. And there were various reasons given for this, but one reason given by the Chizkuni is very practical. Normally, with those furnishings, we will see other furnishings had such poles, but those furnishings were outside where the public could come near them. And then the poles would get in the way. The poles would poke people, and people would trip over them, etc., However, the Oron was in a very private place. Nobody all year went into the uh, that place, the Kodesh Kadoshim, the inner sanctum where the Oron with the protruding poles was. So the poles couldn't be an obstacle in anyone's way except for the Kohen Gadol who came there once a year. Uh, and therefore, there was no reason to remove the poles. And for that reason, says Chizkuni, the poles were to remain in place Always. Then the last pasuk before Shani says, what should be placed inside the Aron, place there, Ace ho'edus asher etein elecha. Place there the luchos, the tablets. There is a discussion in the Gemara Meseches Baba Basra, a machlokes between the Tanoim, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir. Where was the Sefer Torah placed? And there was one opinion that says that the Sefer Torah was not placed inside the Aron. It was placed in a kind of a shelf, a duff, which protruded from the Aron. In the Aron was only the luchos, only the tablets. Others say, no, the Sefer Torah was kind of squeezed into the Aron alongside the tablets. Two opinions. But well, exactly what is comprised of the edus, that the testimonies that were placed into the Oron, just the luchos, just the tablets, or the luchos and uh, the Sefer Torah. But we have reached the end, uh, Sheni, where at least we have in place a list of all the materials which were necessary, the ingredients of the of the Mishkan, and the... Um, building the structure, the fashioning that uh, was necessary for the Oron itself. But notice at this point, the Oron may have legs, as Ibn Ezra suggests, it may not, but it's a big box. A box with uh, gold on the outside, gold on the inside, wood in the middle, rings around it, poles protruding through it, but the box is Eidos inside of it, but the top of the box right now, where we stand at Shani, is wide open. Wide open. Is there a cover to the box? Tune in tomorrow uh, when we study from Shani to Shalishi.